Well, hey, welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. My name is Chris Reed. I'm the director of biblical education and the host of this podcast. And we are in a series called Get to Know Your Bible. We are kind of interspersing this series throughout the throughout what we normally do, which is go through a book of the Bible a chapter at a time. And um, we've been about three weeks into this, and or actually this is the third week, and we're going to be doing this for about uh, this week and one more week, and then we're actually going to get into the book of Jonah. But we're doing this series for the purpose of giving us some behind the scenes about our Bibles. So most of us see the Bible as the Word of God, and we understand that, that God speaks to us through that Word, but how did we get our Bible? Where does the Bible come from? How did God speak to the authors who who wrote these books? And so we want to talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of where it kind of came from, because those things help us understand how to understand what God wants to say to mm. us. Now, we've already looked at Things such as the uniqueness of the Bible and we've like how the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about when the Bible was written, kind of the different dates, and how that helps us have context about the Bible. And today we're going to be getting into who wrote the Bible. And today I'm joined by Pastor Michael. Hey, Michael, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Good. And before we get going, I've just been kind of asking kind of Bible questions to to the guests that, that are on the show with me. Sure. Um, just to kind of get you just to kind of, so the audience knows, and so I know, like, like what's your, your history with the Bible? What are the things that you find most interesting and intriguing about the Bible? Today, we're going to start with, like, what is the thing that you find most weird about the Bible? So if you could think of, like, there are all kinds of strange stories in Scripture, what would be the one that you say sticks out most to you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah good question. All right, can I do two? Yeah, yeah. So the one that we talked about I'll right before... I'll probably share the, two as well. <laughs> okay, the one that we talked about right before this, this podcast started was, it's Ezekiel, he's one of the prophets... And he has this, like, God gives him a command to represent the sin of Israel. He's like, hey, for a year, or maybe it's more, but it's at least a year, <laughs> you're going to cook and prepare. It's one day not long enough for what you're about to say. <laughs> yeah. Whatever amount of time, it's too long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, for X amount of time, you're going to prepare all the food you make <clears throat> over human feces as, like, fuel for your fire to, like, make the food. You're going to cook it over it. And Ezekiel's like, ah, no, please don't. <laughs> please don't make me do that. And God's like, okay, that's fine, but you have to do it over animal feces. And he's like, sold, I'll do that, just to represent the sin of Israel. And I think when I first read that, I was like, didn't I don't even know that this was a bartering system. Like, if God tells you <laughs> yeah. to do something, you're like, can I do something else? But also, that's a crazy thing. I, when I first read that, I was so like, like, it's the Bible, so you take it seriously. Like, mm, that's very spiritual. But it, also, at the same time, I'm like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Absolutely. And the other one, which actually is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Maybe this is going to be your other, one of yours. But um, it's a lot. Is it Elijah or Elisha with the bears? Elisha with the bears. <laughs> Elisha with the bears. He's bald, and he's <laughs> on a horse, like, passing through a town. And all these kids are picking at him and calling him, <laughs> like, hey, baldy is essentially the rough translation, making fun of him for not having hair. And then a herd of female bears comes out of the woods and kills, I think it's 32 children, and kills <laughs> all these kids. Um, and then that's just it. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's that's no the story. There's no like moral of like, and that's why you don't call people bald. They just move, the Bible just moves on. Like that yeah. happened. These kids insulted him. Um, you know, and then they, <laughs> they got wrecked by a bunch of bears. That's That's probably my favorite. That's my favorite. It's the craziest, but that's one of my favorite Bible stories. Okay, so to your first story that you share, uh, that honestly, that and what the rest of the prophets kind of endure, like what they go through oh, in their obedience to God. I I'll be honest, like 
that was a that was a sticking point for me sure. <laughs> being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Please I'm like, let me do that. Yeah, I'm like, if I give the Holy Spirit everything, like if I open myself up, like it, it's for sure I'm walking around naked for six years. Yeah, kind of yeah. like Isaiah. Or, for sure, or, I was just reading Hosea and Gomer, and I thought that I'm like, yeah. what a wild calling that that Hosea had yeah. in a situation that he was just like, okay, <laughs> I don't want you to marry a prostitute. Yeah, she's um, gonna leave you a whole bunch. You're gonna have kids. It'll ruin your life. Yeah, but. <laughs> but. <laughs> But oh, yeah, so so some crazy stories. Another one that really sticks out to me is, um, it, I think it's in the book of Judges. This lady is like, she goes in to this tent and uh, I cannot remember the specifics of the story. I just remember the story goes, this lady goes into a tent and this guy was, uh, he had come in to sleep with her. So he, she allures him in oh my and gosh, then she puts yeah. a tent peg through the guy's skull. Yeah. Like, wild so intense the like, bible can be so violent i think it was i think it was deborah so deborah was judge at the time yeah and um and so like on some of the details are just kind of coming back mm-hmm. so like she talks to this lady and this lady and uh, kind of seduces this guy into the tent and then kills him and then kills so, him with tent big yeah which of all the ways to go out i'm assuming that one's quick <laughs> like I feel like it can't be that yeah, bad. Yeah, maybe I don't. Of know. all the ways that you see, like biblical death, I guess that's not that bad. Yeah. But holy cow, what a wild story. Yeah, it's not getting mauled by bears. Yeah. But um, I, I recently in youth ministry just taught about um, Samson and Delilah. My, also one of my a wild favorite story. crazy story. But one of my favorite little subplots of his life is when he tied, I think it's foxes, <laughs> took a bunch of foxes and tied their tails together, lit them on fire. <laughs> And like, let them loose oh. in like a in like a field, so they'd burn down the crops, and that's the craziest thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, first of all, the thought of someone catching enough foxes to make that possible, <laughs> and then like they're living because they go run in the field to tie their tails together and to like douse them in oil. That's the craziest. The Bible's the craziest book of oh, all time. Yeah. It just, if nothing, even if you're not a like a a Christian, just reading it for entertainment value, it is like it's a crazy read. Yeah. You know? Well, Samson is also the one who who is told not to to. So he's a Nazarite. So mm-hmm. he has this vow that he has taken, or it was actually given to him by his parents. He was mm-hmm. supposed to keep it throughout his entire life. So he's not supposed to drink wine. He's not supposed to touch dead dead things or whatnot. Right. He God uses a God empowers him to use the jaw of a donkey. Wild, which is a dead thing. Right. He so he breaks his Nazarite. Did vow, he get he, punished for that? I don't remember. He kills like a thousand Philistines in, in with the jaw of, <laughs> jaw of jaw donkey, which is like the most metal thing I've ever heard. Yeah, in my exactly. Life. Like, like if you told me that that's the plot of like an '80s heavy metal, it's the cover record. of an Iron Maiden yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Yeah. So, so, anyways, that's why we need to learn about our Bibles. Exactly. A lot, of, a lot of cool stuff in there. Whoever says the Bible's boring, Has go back it. and read the Old Testament a little bit. So yeah, that's pretty sure. wild. Um, okay, so. That's one question I want to ask you. The other question is, what is the biblical author that you most identify with? Oh, man. I feel like that's such a hard question because any answer makes me feel arrogant almost. You know what I mean? It's well, just like you're comparing I'll yourself to like a biblical hero. Not necessarily or, comparing yourself to it. Um, when you read, you identify When you read, with you're, it. you're like, man, I see a lot of myself right there. Like sure. the things they struggle with, the things that they're going through, the things they're talking about. Yeah, I think I've, one of my favorite books of the Bible has always been James for that reason. Because I like, I actually like the impl- the implication before he wrote the book, which is that he was not a follower of Jesus, his brother, he, sure. him being the half brother of Jesus, sharing you know sharing a mother, and then Jesus dies and resurrects, and then all of a sudden he is a follower of Jesus. That's one of the most insane things ever, because he literally saw his brother die and be resurrected. So for me, I love like when I read about James, 
it reminds me of my own salvation story, which I there's a point in my life, there's a point in my life where I so devastatingly did not believe in God. Where I'm like, this mm -hmm. is nonsense. Like I don't believe in this at all. I don't. I think this is made up. Then I had such a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. I had such a radical encounter with Jesus that it changed everything. Where I went from someone who was unapologetically hating God to mm -hmm. unapologetically, this is my whole life. And I think that's where when I read the the words of James, it feels like they're urgent. <clears throat> it seems like he is like passionate and he's pretty pointed at times too. He yeah. doesn't mince words. And I understand that and I identify with it because it's like, yeah, when you have such a radical life change, when you're confronted with evidence of God, when you say, man, I didn't believe this, now I do, and now everything is different, I understand the urgency of how he writes. Almost the way he writes, I've always, like we've compared it to like almost Proverbs before where it's like yeah, just a bunch it's of thoughts. Very like, this too, this too, this too. And I get that because he probably felt urgent and passionate and excited. And I just, when I read it, I get that feeling and I identify with it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I would say mine would be, um, I'll say it this way, the author, John, who mm. who authored most of the, um, they actually think there's a couple different Johns that authored a couple of the, the books that have his name on them. Um, but the, he is, the, the, the people that wrote the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, the they, they have a very similar thought process in mind. Yeah. They see everything very, um, they want to go to the furthest extreme so that they're sure that they're being obedient to God. Love that. So I see that in myself at times. Like, I'm the type of guy that could probably, if it were not for my wife, I would probably live homeless yeah. somewhere. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I would be that person. Um, I just always have had that kind of bent. I have a hard time, yeah. though I'm very much moderate in a lot of ways, I have a very hard time moderating some things like I, yeah so we'll hang, we'll explore that for a second so you say if it weren't for your wife you'd probably be homeless <clears throat> not i'm assuming you're not talking about financial no, struggle I'd you're be talking like, about like i'd be serving in a mission somewhere exactly like in an inner city like you'd be you know living I mean? out the extremes of your faith because right. you didn't yeah. have you didn't have a family to steward over which isn't a bad right. thing but just, not a bad thing you right. just gain a high volume of time you'd be in the thick of it yeah, yeah sure yeah so i would find the most extreme ways to to demonstrate my faith I guess, is that the best way to say it absolutely um now, there's the part of me that's, like, so moderate. Like, I love the middle in a lot of different ways. But mm -hmm. for whatever it is, like, I want to be sure that I'm being obedient in yeah, every way awesome. possible. Um, so I really identify with that. Um, he's also, like, he's got some wild stuff, like, wild ways of thinking about things. And I'm just like, yeah, maybe. Maybe I think maybe I think that way, too. But, yeah, maybe he's on something. Yeah, yeah, but so that's mine. Um, but that's today, yeah. Today we're going to be getting into talking about the authors. I, that's why I asked that question, just because I wanted to kind of uh, just find a relational way to bring that to light. But yeah. today we're going to be kind of talking through um, how God used human authors and why he used human authors and the human authors that he did use and, and how we kind of navigate that with Scripture. I think, like I, like I already said, most of us would probably view the Bible as God's Word, to yeah, us, and sure. so, um, and and so, we do believe that it's inspired. We believe that it that God has given and revealed Himself through these words, through these texts to us. Um, but one thing that I think we need to remember, and 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 we have to hold these things in tension. We have to hold them as a both and, not an either or. Mm. That that most of these writings, these texts, were were written by human authors. Yeah. They were written for specific contexts and specific seasons at specific times in specific languages for the purposes of communicating to different groups. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've heard you say this, and I think we've kind of kicked it back and forth, so I don't remember who said it first, mm -hmm. but you, you said this idea of the Bible was written 
um, for us, but not to us. Yeah, absolutely. Can, can you expound on that just yeah. a little bit? <clears throat> yeah, the Bible is written to edify us and for us to have a strong faith and to learn about the characteristics of the God that made us. Um, like if you think about, if you've ever been in a rom romantic relationship, like I remember when I first started dating my wife and it was such a consistent thing of like learning who she was, was mm -hmm. an intricate part of developing long-standing romantic feelings. And that kind of intimacy comes from understanding. Um, and the more I knew about Gina and the more I loved Gina and the deeper our relationship got, you know, and that's why the, you know, the idea of even now being a married person having to start at day one of a date and be like, what's your favorite color? Seems like so, <laughs> yeah. so silly. Cause I have this depth and understanding of my wife. That's so like, how do you emulate that? You know, and really anything else. So for me, so when I say the Bible is written for us, it's for that reason. It's for us to grow in an intimate understanding of God in a yeah. way that can only be accomplished through a, a giant laborious but 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 like edifying process of learning about the god that we serve right. and that we were created in the image of so that's why it was for us it was not written to us in the sense that exactly what you said these these books of the bible were written by human beings who had a life perspective who had seen things experienced things talked in a specific way everyone you've ever talked to talks differently we have different catchphrases and things that we'll say and, sure. and the way that we communicate and some people talk with a more harsh tone and a kind tone they're written by these people to a specific mm -hmm. audience in almost all of these situations. They're written, well, I guess in every single one of them. <clears throat> Paul's letters are a great example. They're written to a church or to a group of people. So they're written by somebody who has their own life experience and they're putting their own color in, into the text and they're written to a specific demographic. So it's not written to us. I'm not the intended, I'm not, when I read Corinthians, I'm not in that church in Corinth that it was written right. to. It's written for me, though, to learn of God and to learn of God in this spirit-inspired work to edify me and build me up and create that intimacy and understanding of who God is. It's not necessarily contingent on salvation. You just need the professed belief of Jesus. But how do you get to know Jesus more? Like, that is why we have the Bible, to right. learn of the God that we serve and what he would want, want us to do. Man, that's so good. And that, that what it does is that highlights, and or, or what that leads us to, is to recognize that we at times also need to step back and look at the human element of this. So, yeah. So the you use the the book of Corinthians or the two books of Corinthians mm -hmm. as an example. So the people. So when Paul originally writes these letters, he's writing to the church in Corinth. Yeah. He he sits down. He he's a leader in that church. He helped found that church. Yeah. And so he is addressing specific issues that they are kind of going yeah. through. And if you feel like he's pointed, it's because he is. He has yeah. this relate. We're just. I mean, yeah. If, if you feel like it's pointed, it's because he has the authority to do so. He has relational equity. He's right. saying, you guys are messing this up. Fix it, and here's how. That's not about me. I didn't do those things. You know, I read it like, I didn't do that. Yeah. But it's still for me, and it's for me to learn from. And the reality is, a lot of what we experience as a church, yeah. what, what we experience as believers, we can identify with what the Corinthians are going through, Heck right? Yeah. Almost on a daily basis. Yeah, we'll find, even if it's in a small way, we'll read something. And I think that's what makes the Word of God living, too. I'll read it in a season and not be in a place where that's super relevant. I'm like, well, I'm not really dealing with that right now. But you'll find a way that it is relevant to you, even if it's just a small way. I'm not dealing with that in my church, but I'm dealing with it in my marriage. And then all of yeah. a sudden you can glean that wisdom that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write with and apply it, you know. Or you'll go through a different season where you are struggling with that exact issue in your church. Thankfully, we have those letters and we have the Bible to re you know, reflect on. Yeah. And so the important part is when we're when we're talking about this concept, we what we're trying to do first when we read Scripture is we're trying to get back to and understand what is Paul saying to that original context. So yeah. what did Paul mean when he said that? Sometimes that translates one-to-one, 
our context will lay over and we'll be able to, to lay that over. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes yeah. we need more information. Sometimes we need um, better clues. Understanding who the author is and looking at the human side of the literature style, the language, the who the author's what the author's perspective was, and what yeah. what kind of shades his background and the things that lens that he's looking yeah, through. For sure, that's part of reading it. And so we can't always just read like it's a supernatural letter to us. Mm-hmm. We have to start with this was a letter to someone. Yeah. Does if that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. If you don't mind me asking, and if, and if I'm jumping the shark here, we, we can say let's You're talk good. about it later. But um, what is the danger of not reading it that way? Like, sure. Like, what, why does that even matter? If you're like, okay, if it's written for me, it might as well be written to me. Why not just read it like it's written to me? Is there, can you think of something like this is where it could get you in trouble, whether it be a specific example or just like a theory of why we read the way we read, you know? Yeah. The, so I'm in the thick of studying, like, uh, in Timothy, listening through, like, what what is Paul saying when he tells the church or when he tells Timothy um, to, to discipline these women? In a specific in a specific way, he tells yeah. them like they can't teach, they can't lead. Right. So okay. So in this instance, on the surface, if we just read this as a letter to us, it's very cut and dry what what Paul is telling to Timothy. Right. Don't let women speak in church. Right. Great example. Okay. Yeah. So if you were to just take that like this is written to me. Yes. That that would be the natural conclusion. Or Corinthians, we were just talking about that. Right. I don't remember if it's one or two where he says women don't talk in church. Yes, it's First uh, <clears throat> Corinthians eleven. I believe. If I'm reading like that. I'm the directed audience. Anytime I see a woman speaking in our church as a pastor, I'd say, stop. You know right. what I mean? This yeah. is what the Bible says. Yeah. If it was written to me, that is. Yeah. Right. So what we do though is we take and we look at the the context of the letter. Is are there reasons why Paul might say that to? Timothy, why why they he might say that to the Corinthians? Yeah. Does he have reasons behind why he's saying what he's saying? So now we've looked at the context, we've looked at the the human reasons behind, and and uh, we don't have the 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 month for us to to, to, to go through like what's all the say, context we're, around we're these passages. T- we're also talking about the most hotly some of the most hotly yeah. debated passages in the whole Bible right now. Exactly. Funny that you picked those ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just on the top of my mind, so that's sure, why yeah. I'm thinking it's about it. It's a great it, but, example. Yeah. Yeah. So what we look at is we see that. Paul may have had specific reasons for addressing what yeah. he addressed in the in the church in Ephesus um, when he's addressing it with Timothy. So it maybe there was a way that the that, that women were communicating that was domineering, that was overbearing, that was yeah. causing disruption in the church. And so what Paul was doing was addressing a a situation. Now, does that mean that that applies to every church and every time and every place? Yeah. Well. If if that reason is not existing in the church, that you yeah. those those words don't necessarily mean the same thing. Yeah, does yeah. that make sense? Absolutely, and I think <clears throat> I think I got this from you. But there's a difference between a passage that is a description of something and a sure. prescription of what like now of behavior should be going yeah. forward. So if you were to take everything as like a prescription out of context, if I read in the Bible that Jesus wept, I'd be like, okay, if that's a prescription, we should all weep. Right. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, this is what I should do when I pray. Because Jesus in that moment, because he prayed, he wept, so I should what you know, weep. It's a description of an event, not necessarily a prescription of how we should operate. Now, the interesting thing is, are there reasons why it happened that should be a prescription? You know, yeah. that should be like, yeah. what's the root cause of Jesus' weeping? Should my heart be broken by something? That that's a very interesting conversation. Even what's the value of of Paul writing that to Timothy? Is it because he doesn't like church disorder? So, okay, well, let's talk about church disorder then. That right. might be a prescription, is then I allow that. So that's where like the nuance of the conversation can come in, but exactly. Yeah. And this is honestly, if we step back and look at it, this is how we encounter every piece of information that we take in. Super good. We are always looking mm. at context, and we're always evaluating and 
gleaning meaning from the, the, the overall picture, the bigger picture, there are very rare, very few things. And, and I would say, I might even venture to say there are no things that we would deem as true fact, as knowledge without context. Yeah. Language is saturated in context. Mm-hmm. Um, our visual is saturated in context. I, yeah. I see you, but I see you in the context of the rest of the room. I see yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. I am pulling information. I'm gleaning meaning and right. trying to find information, trying to find what is communicated by everything that's involved around For it. For sure. That's my life as a young, as like a young, as a dad with young kids is basically trying to be a detective all the time. Yeah. Where, where Darby will come up to be my oldest, like Selah hit me. And very rarely is it just Selah, if ever, until just out of the blue, like crack her in the head with something on purpose. So it's like, all right, well, what was the whole story? Like, what is, why did you, what did you do leading up to the moment? Not that they, her striking you is okay, but like, what's the whole picture here? Because there yeah. could be a more, there could be accountability on all ends. And without understanding the full context of why those two communicated the way they did, what the whole story is, it's yeah. easy to draw an incorrect conclusion with the limited information that you have. Exactly. 100%. Dangerous with the Bible. Exactly. Because yeah. if you just go, God said it, I do it. Yeah. While obedience and, and trusting God is absolutely Beautiful. what we're striving for, yeah. if we don't take the time to do the work of of understanding what's behind it, yeah. we we could get into a dangerous time because God tells... You could be being disobedient. Well, and God tells a lot of people to kill people. Yeah, like, and, exactly. And, and I, w- I can stand here with 100% assurance that God's not commanding that right yeah, now. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, well so, so we have to explore these things. Um, and so that's why we're looking at who the authors are because the author really, they give us they give us a lens with which we're looking through to read and understand these, yeah, these passages. Um, now, Michael, I text you from time to time. And so we communicate on a regular basis. We talk to each other often. And, and so in all the communication that we have back and forth, and, yeah. I, and I use text messages because it probably has the, it has the less contextual clues. So Definitely. if we're standing here talking, there are more contextual clues to yeah. uh, the conversation. Texting is very one-sided mm-hmm. and it's very much like a letter. So yeah, for sure. Very much like what we're doing when we're reading a it's book. It's like reading the Bible, yeah. yeah. So when I text you, how does knowing me shade how you read what I'm sending you. Super good. Super good. Um, yeah. So I know you and I know your character. So for those of you who are listening to this podcast, who don't know Pastor Chris personally, maybe you don't go to our church or maybe you've come in a stretch where you just haven't really got to meet him, but something that myself and literally everybody that I, that who knows Chris, if you were to ask, Hey, tell me about Chris Reed. Here's going to be like the first thing that they say, Chris Reed out of everyone that I know has the highest character, has the highest integrity, He's going to make the right decision. Profoundly patient. I've seen you get upset with somebody one time. <laughs> it has scared the pants off me. One time in the eight years that I've known you, I've seen you like, and you weren't even you weren't even rude. I've just never seen you operate out of a sense of frustration. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just so rare. Let's just you, be clear. I do. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, sure. Just not at work. You know what I mean? I'm sure you know everyone. You know, I'm sure at home or wherever you're frustrated. Who knows? But I just yeah. from I've seen you and I've seen you in your home. I've seen you at millions of social events. I've seen you at, at, at barbecues. I've seen you teach from stage. I've seen you in my house. I've seen you struggle trying to hang up something in my, and fix something in my house. I saw Chris Reed crawl through <laughs> like the crawl space above, <laughs> above my ceiling to help me put in light fixtures. I've seen Chris in the most frustrating situations. And because of my volume of time spent with you, yeah, I know that you're patient. I know that you're kind. I know that you're not perfect, but I know that that you're relentlessly generous and that you genuinely care if you ask a question. You've never once asked me a question and just to ask a question because you want to know the answer. So when you send me a text, I have all of that information in my head for what it might be. So if you send me something, 
Um, so say, t- say I, cor- I have to correct something. Like, say I have to absolutely. say something. Well, about- say me and you have a work thing. Okay, so, yeah. so this is actually a really interesting example. You and I are probably eight, nine years difference in age. Pretty close, yeah. So texting was more a part of my childhood than yours. You probably didn't text much in high school. Is that fair to say? I did not have a cell phone until I was in college. Sure. So I had one. Of my, I had a. I had my first cell phone when I was in ninth grade, um, where I could shoot out maybe tenth grade. So I could shoot out text messages to people. Mm-hmm. My generation has learned to communicate almost like a hieroglyphic sense of of um, tone. So text doesn't have great tone, but if I put a smiley face at the end of it. Or that's even kind of outdated, but exclamation points are the new version of smiley faces. <laughs> like I make fun of my sister Macy all the time. You might know Mary if you've come to the church, but I have another sister named Macy. And she always puts five exclamation points at the end of every text. <laughs> I'm like, you're not yelling. Why are you doing that? Or she'll even put ha ha. She'll be like, hey, how are you today? Ha ha. I'm like, what do you mean ha ha? It's not funny. Why are, you, <laughs> why are you? You're not yelling or laughing. Why is all this? But my generation has learned to add little context clues like that in yeah. communication. And then all of a sudden, if, if I get a text that says, okay, exclamation point, I'm assuming oh, it's a good tone. If I get okay, period, even though it's a normal thing that you'd say in conversation, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, this person's angry at me, right? <laughs> so you might send me a text with no exclamation point, no emojis, not even the one with the semicolon, in the, in, you know what I mean? It's not even, not even yeah. the, no tone added to it. And I might think, man, I wonder if Chris is angry at me. I wonder if there's like something like that. But because I have the context of knowing you as a person, I know that I'm not even gonna worry about it because I know that Chris would tell me if he was upset with me. Yeah. I know that he would call me if it was something serious, if he was actually upset with me. Mm-hmm. And I know that he would just say, I'm kind of frustrated and here's why. Because I've had that volume of time where we've done all of those things together. We've right. had moments of working out frustrations, working out things that we're not happy about or like, or, you know, all that stuff. So I understand that like, because of all the context that I know you, I know that I can read the text for what it is. I can read it within the proper context. And if I need more clarity, I can just ask you that more. But it helps me infinitely. Or if I didn't know you, I might read a text that says, okay, period from you and think like, oh, Chris hates me. <laughs> but because I know you, I can read that and think, oh no, Chris loves me. He's busy or that's just how he texts. And because I know that he would tell me otherwise. Does that make sense? Because I know you, I don't have to inject intent into what you say because I know the character behind it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I was actually talking to uh, to Mick the other day about, um, about Paul. He was talking about Paul um, and how kind of gruff and kind of grumpy and kind of pointed he is and just imagine just imagine being in one of those churches who Paul has context with you where he's visited you mm-hmm. he's talked with you you personally know him he pours out his heart and his life to you when he's in person yeah and then he writes this letter to you he gets news from the Corinthian situation he gets news that you you're betraying him behind his back yeah like you've gone and you you've you've elevated these other teachers in your church yeah above him he's so essentially you're you're kind of playing you're you're dogging him you know yeah, what i mean absolutely, like yeah you're you're not taking what he says that he, and now not only that but they might be leading you down a path that he's worked so hard to get you to right that's different and, and it's different you know what mm-hmm. i mean and so when paul addresses that he's grumpy and he's frustrated by it yeah he's like what about all the times that we've spent together? Yeah. What about all the ways that we've talked about this? Did is all of that for not all the relational equity that I've poured into? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like why would you do that? Like, and yeah. so he's pointed, giving these 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 things to this this church because of that. Yeah, absolutely. We when we look at Paul, the danger of that is we go, man, Paul was so direct. And so that means, <laughs> so that means I can, I can be direct. Yeah, I can go on a street corner. Yeah. Hold up a sign that says you're going to hell and be really rude to strangers yeah. because Paul was direct, where it's like, no, no. <laughs> Paul has like so much equity with these people. Yeah. Paul has all this relational stuff where like 
I know that if you ever communicate to me in a frustrated way, it's not because you're some low character jerk. It's because you're frustrated. Yeah. You're not going to tone police you. It's like, all right, Chris is frustrated. Let's talk about it. But that does, again, it's like Jesus wept means I can just be, I should be weeping all the time and be in, and, and it's like, no, that's like, you need to understand the context of this stuff. Why was yeah. Paul frustrated? Yeah. Who was he talking to? Why was he communicating in such a pointed way? You know? Yeah, and for sure. And we know that because later in, in other instances where he doesn't know the church personally, like Romans, for instance. Great point. He he's he writes very differently. Like yeah, he's very his tone he is different. Yeah, his tone is different. He communicates differently. And so um and so that stuff's important. And I I think that's a, a really good illustration. Those are some really good illustrations mm-hmm. as to why it's it's important that we understand who these people are. Um and, and Another reason that it's good that we understand who these people are is it also at times gives um, gives a level of authority, hmm. and I'm going to talk about this more next week. Um, now, it's going to sound like I'm going to contradict myself here in just a few minutes sure. after we talk about this point, but it, it gives a level of authority because the people that are tied to these writings are very close to the actual events, mm-hmm. or they... they um, they're considered to be credible right. sources for what they're talking about. So um, if, if I were to say to you, hey, I, I, I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. Um, let, me, uh, let me ask it this way. Who would you believe in a situation if you saw or if you heard about something happening? So let's say you heard about a car wreck that was on Memorial mm-hmm. Drive. Who would you believe? Would you believe the the person who saw it, the person yeah. who was in the car, maybe the person who was standing on the sidewalk right in front of there, or would you hurt, or would you believe it from the guy who told you, a, who was told about it? You know, Su- what I'm saying? super good question. Yeah, and that's like, you can one of the funniest places to see that play out in real real time. I would not recommend doing this, but <laughs> <clears throat> go to Facebook and join like whatever your community's in the know group is. They're like all over no. America. So here, and then our town is called Fairfield County in the know, and all it is. This is all it is. It's just people. Com- it's just people complaining mostly, and then people giving false information that they heard from a guy. <laughs> like, well, I heard, and you know what the most common one is? Is like what restaurants are going. Well, my cousin told me that we're getting a second Red Lobster. It's yeah. like, oh my oh. gosh. It's just stuff like that where it's like, well, all of it. It's like I'm not going to take that seriously because I don't know. But that being said, I just had a conversation with Stacy Crawford yesterday, who said, "Hey, we're getting the Sheets gas station," which is. My favorite place in the whole world. Okay. I, work, I worked there in college. I'm like, why is this exciting? It's very exciting, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I worked there in college. It's my favorite, best gas station in the world. It's it's they make made-to-order food. It's a fancy, bougie gas station. It's the best, right? So if I read that on Facebook in the know that like, hey, um, we're getting the sheets, I'd be like, probably not. You guys are wrong all the time. No way. When Stacy tells me, hey, like my husband works for the city, and he told me like there's a sheets going in there because I had to run like gas lines or Hopefully whatever. Hopefully we didn't just release private. <laughs> no, it, it, it's on Facebook. It's on okay, Facebook. Okay, yeah. okay. I don't think we're going to get sued by sheets. I think we're okay. All right. But 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 uh, because I because the county auditor told me, because Ben, who works for the city, told me. Now, yeah. all of a sudden, it means more. Now, I'm right. like, okay, yes, this is going in there because someone who literally has the paperwork, they're doing the labor, that firsthand account of what's happening, when they tell me, now I, I'm willing to repeat that and say it with somewhat confidence and authority of like, no, I know the guy who was there. Like, that's how it happened versus like, well, my, you know, my cousin's friend told me that someone made a bid means nothing to me. It's like, yeah. you know, because who knows yeah. what, who knows what's actually true and what's actually, you know, false there. Yeah, 100 percent. And so that, that that is that is one reason why it's good to know the authors. A lot of the biblical writings are tied to um, different people because those people carry authority. They were eyewitnesses. Sure. They were 
they were very close to the people who were are surrounded in these events. Yeah, super good. Now, the next thing that I'm going to say... <laughs> is this where you're going to counter... This is going to sound yourself? like I'm contradicting exactly sure. what I just said. That is one part of why we give the Bible, give these writings authority, why they add authority to it. Now, when we get into Scripture, what you're going to notice is that some of these books, though all of them have titles typically or are, are attributed to someone, mm-hmm. a lot of the books of the Bible that we have actually don't have authors indicated in the text themselves. Sure. So we would say that they were anonymous. Now, the Gospel of Matthew is, an, is anonymous, though we attribute it to, to the, to the um, disciple Matthew, yeah. the disciple Levi. Um, the book of Luke is anonymous. Mm-hmm. The book of Mark is anonymous. The book of John Though a lot of people attribute it to um, to the gospel, or to the apostle John, or to another author named John that was clo- like involved in yeah. the first century church, the gospel only says the beloved disciple. Yeah, it only indicates the, the authorship being the beloved disciple. It never says who the beloved disciple is. Yeah. So, so, so we can use context clues to try to figure out what right. that means and even make exactly. a really great, intelligent guess, but it's still an anonymous book. Yes. Yeah. Um, book of Hebrews, we talked about that on the podcast, mm-hmm. like how it's anonymous. Um, you get in the Old Testament, you got the books of Genesis, though it's highly attributed to Moses. Yeah. Um, nowhere in the book itself does it say... Identify an I, author. Yeah, does yeah. it identify an author. Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Esther, Job, Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. And that one's even shocking to some people because most people attribute it to Solomon, mm-hmm. um, but nowhere in the text does it actually attribute it to necessarily Solomon. Right. The, um, and so there's some things that get said in the book that, that make... That make people think that it is Solomon, and there's mm-hmm. some things that get said that make people think that oh, it might not be Solomon. So, I say all that to say this: like, not just because a book is anonymous, it means we don't take it seriously. We shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, not exactly not. <laughs> just because it's anonymous doesn't mean that it shakes sure. the foundation. And just because, even if there's questions of who actually wrote these books, and it's not mm-hmm. what uh, we would traditionally say is attributed to these authors. Even if there's conversation around that, that doesn't remove the authority of these books. Sure. You want to ask you a question about sure, that? Sure, go ahead. So traditionally, if something's going to be canonized, which canonized, if you don't know what that word means, it means to be made like an official part of... Right. If you're talking about like a comic book world or fantasy, it means to be officially in the lore. Like, you know? Yeah. So a really funny example is in a movie recently, in an MC, in a Marvel movie, there was a poster that production company forgot to take out of the movie yeah. that had Batman on it. That made it into the movie. So everyone's like, does this mean that Batman is now canonized in the Marvel universe? <laughs> Do we, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we know he exists. Technically, is this canon? That's what canonized means. It means it's officially a part of the work or of the belief system or of the or of the lore, whatever the case might be. Usually for something to be canonized for any religion, authorship is pretty important. So if you don't mind me asking, how is it that this stuff was still canonized without 100% authorship? Okay, so that's a great question. We can cut this out if you don't have it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I don't have it fully developed for you here because sure. we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about okay, the authority cool. of Scripture. But I'll give you a quick down-and-dirty answer. Sure, so absolutely. There are multiple reasons why we believe that these are inspired works, not just one. So we have—and and the criteria for each— um, 
it's not like there was these check marks that they sure. that the so church, when you say not just had. one authorship can be one, but it's not the only exactly okay. right. Um, the authors did not have to be apostles. Most people think like, and I'm talking New Testament specifically. Sure. The authors did not have to be apostles, but they did have to be closely tied to mm-hmm. apostolic authority, the apostolic teaching. So which puts them in eyewitness category or very close yeah, to it. Close to so, it. Yeah. Um, puts them in a reliable source. Yeah. Sure. Another reason, another thing that was high on the priority list was the use within the churches. Hmm. So if Paul wrote a letter to the, to the Corinthians and the Corinthians read this letter and they, we, we've already talked about this, like Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians, but as the Corinthians read it, maybe there's a visitor in the church from, um, from Ephesus. Mm-hmm. And so the church in Ephesus is like, Hey, that was super good. That's valuable. Yeah, we, we recognize that when Paul is writing these things, or um, when when these letters are coming in, like that is super valuable. Mm-hmm. Can we get a copy of that? So they make a copy of it, and it goes Which to the church. Which is so cool Ephesus. to think about. Yeah, like, like like Christianity really is at its core a grassroots movement. Of yeah, just people sharing stuff and like sharing 100%. the faith, and then sharing the knowledge of the faith and these authoritative texts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so same thing with the Book of Revelation. The Book of Revelation is going to seven different churches. So John's idea is. This is going to get passed around yeah, super to good. all these seven churches and more. Yeah, and so copies would get made, and so churches would use these texts. And the more they got used across a broad range of churches, mm-hmm. so and 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 I think we think of the church just being kind of in Jerusalem and Antioch and Ephesus, and but I mean the church exploded. Like yeah. I mean it was growing and went to Ethiopia. Wild. Um, it, most. There, there's tradition that the, the the church made it to India. That Thomas was a disciple. Thomas, who was the disi- the doubting disciple, he gets sure. a bad rap, but he goes to India and and takes the church all the way that Incredible. far east. Yeah. Um, and so, like the church is spreading, and so the more that we find these works being used throughout these different areas, you see, you get this widespread mm-hmm. use. And so yeah. that is it. That is a big factor. Like that's yeah. like I would say is probably one of the primary. Uh, primary factors. Um, what is its theology? What is the book's theology? Say, is it going to contradict something yeah. else that it, you know, is affirmed by, or, you know, that would contradict the work of Jesus or something that, you know, even in the Old Testament, it would go against that and say, hey, you know, but yeah. Exactly. There, there's a book called The Shepherd of Hermas. <clears throat> they think that it's very close to, to the time of authorship of the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. very similar to the book of Revelation, um, very highly used within the church, uh, the early church. Um for one, I've never read this book, so I don't know exactly what it says. But <laughs> sure. but this is what like the, com- the the language that goes around it. Revelation makes it into the canon of scripture, which mm-hmm. canon just means rule. You, you use it really well. Canon is just the rule, awesome. or the like the measuring line of of this makes it this 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 doesn't. Yeah, sure. So Revelation makes it. The shepherd Hermas does not. Yeah, and and a lot of times what happens is there's some there's like one to two like kind of weird off things. That the church was just addressing enough. just enough yeah. to make it go like, mm, yeah, that's probably not what we think it is. Yeah, and absolutely. so um, trusting that the people putting that together were led by the Holy Spirit and operating under the influence right. of the Holy Spirit to know what book should make it and what not. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So all of that together plays into why we believe that these sure. were the inspired texts of sure. Scripture. All right, last question about sure. that. Would you still find those extra biblical works? Do you think, as a pastor, you'd find value in them as long as you're not, you know, would you ever recommend someone to read that or read Enoch or to read, if you don't see it, no, this isn't canonized scripture, but it could still be valuable. You know what I mean? Yes. How would you, would you talk, how would you recommend that to somebody? Useful, not authoritative. Love it. That's how the church has traditionally viewed them. That is how the Jewish people traditionally view them. So that like, there's, there's, 
uh, I want to say there's 15 to 20, 20 texts written between what we would say would be Malachi and in the New Testament. Well, yeah. And first um, and second Maccabees, there's there, there's a whole host mm-hmm. of them. Some uh, the the Catholic Church, I, I maybe the Greek Orthodox Church also includes them in Scripture. Yeah, they yeah. would say they're canonized texts. Absolutely. Um, most Protestant churches do not recognize them as canonized texts. Sure. And we would side with like the traditional Jewish view of these are highly important, very very good for understanding context for understanding time sure. period. Um, not inspired in the same way that Absolutely. Genesis to Malachi is. You can call it a Christian book written right now. Yeah, like you could write yeah a, exactly. You could read a bomb Christian book that isn't necessarily wrong. It's just not. It's just not authoritative. And, yeah, and yeah. Ma- maybe you and I talked about this, or um, Andy Stanley, highly inspired. <laughs> like the way Heck he yeah. communicates yeah. is it, it, it transforms people's lives. The Spirit mm-hmm. uses it to speak to people's lives, but it's not authoritative in the right. same way that scriptures are authoritative. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so like, 100%. so the spirit uses it. Yes, but not authoritative in that it holds the same mm-hmm. level of, of um, the same level of authority within the church as these, these Super texts. Good. Thanks do. for so, explaining that, Chris. Yeah, no problem. So let's talk a little bit about, so, so we're saying like, it's okay that, that these are anonymous texts. Mm-hmm. Um, where do we get the authorship from? So we ascribe them, the names now the Old Testament ascribes all the first five books of the Bible to Moses, um, or, or the traditional Jewish view is that sure. all the first five so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses wrote those. Some even believe that the book of Job was written by Moses because it has a lot of the patriarchal yep. uh, kind of feel to it, um, and so that gets ascribed to it. The Jewish faith celebrates that as the books of Moses, um, and so just because it doesn't say within the text that Moses wrote this this text does not yeah. mean that he didn't and it doesn't mean that he does did you know what I'm saying yeah, so are there are there certain groups of Jewish people that's the only thing they believe is biblical text yeah so the Sadducees would have been famously known for only ascribing that those are the only inspired text of scripture yep. yeah okay. the first awesome. five books right on um and so there are still some that I think kind of following that I would I don't want to speak for something I don't know sure I would say most most Jewish people Believe, most Jewish people today believe that mm-hmm. the Tanakh, the entire what we would call the Old Testament, yeah. is the inspired Word of God. So awesome. the, the the Torah, the, Torah the writings, video. and the awesome. the um, the prophets. Um, so um, for for us, we get a lot. And I would say when I say us, I mean Christians. The New Testament, when we're looking at the New Testament, a lot of the authorship that gets ascribed to these anonymous books comes from early church history. So mm-hmm. Eusebius. He was an early church historian, so we're talking like the 200s. He's writing a history of the church, so he's kind of extending. He's going from Acts through the first century, through the second century, writing like kind of what's happening in the church at this time. A lot of we find a lot of attestations to authorship in Eusebius. Hmm. We find a lot of them in the Apostolic Fathers, who were first and second century church leaders. So like Clement of Rome, Ignatius. Polycarp, who incidentally was thought to be a disciple of John, mm-hmm. um, like also, the Apostle John. It's also a Pokemon. Oh, okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Sound like one. <laughs> hey, it might be. I, there's Charizard and all these other things. So. Polycarp. Like yeah. Um, there's Papia. <laughs> I should have lied to you. I should have went with it. Yes, oh, yes, Chris yes, there is. is. Yeah. No. I would, I would not know. As soon as you said it, though, I was like, you know what that sounds like? 
Not all jokes are good. All right, continue. Sorry. No, you're good. There's Papias and then um, Quadratus, which that's a name right there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sure. But these are the guys. These are the guys who were leading the church in the early first century, in the late first century, early second century. Um, very close to the apostles. Very close to um, that that first generation of of Christian believers. And so they're ascribing these works to these different authors. And so we trust and we we believe at times that that what they attest to, they had some inside knowledge that mm-hmm. lets them know who actually wrote these texts. Sure. So tradition sometimes gets that right. Sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes there's evidence in the actual text itself that would point away from mm-hmm. that. And, and there was really a popular... And I realize I'm talking a lot right now. I'm so no, sorry. no, I love it. Super good, Chris. Um, the, there was a popular movement in scholarship in the, the 1800s and beyond. Once science really became, they call it the Enlightenment, mm-hmm. the the scientific era, like that whole time period, um, really got popular in, um, or they really started questioning these traditional views. Yeah. So you see a lot of content on why this person could not be an author of this mm-hmm. book. Sure. So they look at language, they look at all these different different things, they look at dating, all of that. Mm-hmm. But what what we're finding is is that the the criteria that they used was based off an assumption mm. of a lack of the supernatural. So mm. so a lot of times why they were dating things was because they dated things post so like if if there was a prophecy or to talk about a future yeah. event, they dated it post that and they also assumed that the church could not have developed their idea of Jesus in the way that they had that early on. Yeah. They're thinking this legend isn't born until later on. Exactly. That's an assumption. That's yeah. a perspective. Right. And 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 they that's have not accounting for the supernatural work of the Holy right. Spirit. The, yeah, absolutely. And and they have ascribed they have they have really set back the understanding of, of the Bible sure. for for Which a long ironically time. is from beginning to end largely about the supernatural. <laughs> exactly. Things that would, would go past what is natural, yeah. what you would expect for like with our own human abilities. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is why we have to approach it again with both. We yeah, have to absolutely. approach it with the yeah. idea that supernatural is real and exists and that God uses human beings, the very yeah. natural processes. So I say all that to say this. There are sometimes good reasons why tradition might be off. Mm-hmm. There are sometimes good reasons to, to believe that tradition is on. And so when we approach these texts, I think it's okay to, to go with church history and to, to attest them to, um, unless we have like a textual reason not to, mm-hmm. we're kind of just shooting in the dark. And, and, and what we can trust is that through church history, they have ascribed these books to these people for a specific reason because yeah. it engenders something about that either that person or it's it's been closely tied to to the community that they were in charge of that they led and thus we can trust that they were involved yeah. at least in the thought process of these texts. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's okay Super to good. trust that. If you don't and if you're like I just want to leave it anonymous, that's completely okay too. Sure. Like this is where I would say though we said knowing the authorship is important, knowing the authorship is not important because the text in and of themselves can attest to what it wants to say. Absolutely. And so we can pull the, I mean, we're pulling all these clues from the text anyhow. So, yeah. um, and so that's a really, that's a really good way to say it. We're all, 
the clues to give authorship are, are from the text anyway. Exactly. So a, yeah, absolutely. So to, so to say it's not an authoritative text, it's like, well, the reason why you're attributing the author is because you're viewing the text as authoritative. Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and remember, not every work of Paul made it into the canon of Scripture. For sure. Paul wrote a lot of letters. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure that, that he wrote more than what we have in mm-hmm. the, 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 20, uh, the 13 books that he wrote in, in the New Testament. And so it's not necessarily that Paul is always inspired. It's that these works are inspired. Absolutely. And so yeah. it, it, there's a distinction there. And that's why we can still have trust and faith. If you hear somebody say, well, Matthew didn't actually write the, the gospel of Matthew. Yeah. You can go, you know what? That doesn't shake my confidence. Yeah, that's that, okay because so many yeah. other aspects of Matthew line up and, and are so hyper consistent that it's like, that's not the most interesting part of it anyways. Yeah. 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 And, and, and we can pull a lot of information and we can know a lot of, of what's going on with Matthew without yeah. knowing that Matthew, the son of Levi, you know what I yeah, mean? Or uh, the son of Alphaeus wrote the book. So that was a lot of me talking. Any no, questions or any thoughts that you have in, in kind of all Absolutely of that? Absolutely not. No, I jumped in where I, where I had stuff. Think, yeah, great stuff, Chris. Okay. Um, and so the last thing I want to touch on and one I want to make us aware of is as we're thinking about um, as we're thinking about authorship, it's good for us to realize, too, that sometimes, particularly in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, um, the book of Psalms, that is a collection yeah, sure. by multiple authors. Yeah. And, and I guess I didn't say my point. Let me say my point. I didn't say my point first. <laughs> Sometimes the books are authored by group. Is what I was going to say. Than than one specific person. Love it. I think we get this picture of. um, I think we get this picture of um, a guy sitting in a dark room by himself writing these books. Big white beard. Yeah, big white pen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's not quite how it always worked. And so um, there was oftentimes group attributed to these texts, the Book of Psalms. And I wasn't trying to interrupt you. I hope it didn't sound like I was correcting you. No, super good. Yeah. Sometimes you will hear it, the way that I communicate. I jump four steps ahead and then realize, oh, I didn't it's give good. all it's the information. Just, just foreshadowing. So yeah, <laughs> it's, good, it's good storytelling. That, I, I reala- appreciate the positive aspect. Of, yeah, of, I also of, realized I said that they use a fountain pen. I don't know if they have fountain pens. I have no idea. Actually, just the sheets don't sue me. And if you're in big fountain pen industry, <laughs> leave me alone. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know? Actually, they also sheets. We're looking for sponsors. If you want to be a sponsor of our podcast, we'd love. Just kidding. <laughs> They would use fountain pens. A lot of times it was like, oh, really? uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you just ask sorry. sheets? To, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I missed it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I don't know. I feel like we could have a sponsor and it has to be sheets. And if sheets wants to give me free made to order food, like, I don't know. I'm yeah. The, the, the things that sit on our table could be sheets. Yeah. That like can say sheets drinks, on it. Like, I don't, co- I don't believe coffee. in smart water. I yeah. believe in sheets. I think That's it's great. <laughs> Provide our, our back to our, fountain our pens. Snacks. Back to the point of this podcast, Chris. Uh, fountain pens could have been used. Like, my guess is mostly fe- like a feather or whatever they would use to cut like reads or whatever. I knew that you would a, know. A lot of times what they would do is they would bring wax notebooks and oh, they would cool. write rough drafts and wax notebooks and then they would ink the final draft. Sure. Um, and, and actually I'll talk about that here in a second. So the idea of a group writing. <laughs> nice. What? Talk about foreshadowing. We yeah, nailed it. Yeah. Foreshadowing. We nailed it. <laughs> so um, Paul is notorious for this. Paul would oftentimes attribute his letter and recognize in his letter other people. Hmm. So in 1 Corinthians, we got Sosthenes along with Paul. In 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, it's Paul and Timothy. Right. First and 2 Thessalonians, it's Paul, Savanus, and Timothy. Um, and, and oftentimes, even Paul would bring in scribes to actually write the letters. Yeah. You'll see at the end of Paul's letters, where he says, I wrote this in my own hand. Look at how big the letters are. You know what I mean? So, sure, yeah. Um, just because they were literate doesn't mean that they always always could write back then. Yeah. Two different things. Yeah, sure. In, in that time period. And so um, 
so Paul would use oftentimes like a think tank. It's, it's kind of what we do here yeah, um, in, in a similar way. Um, oftentimes we talk about how the best idea wins, how mm-hmm. we'll get in a room and we'll just kind of kick ideas around. Yeah. Um, well, talk about that for a second. Yeah. You know, all of our best ideas in my experience working here at the tree have been by committee. Some of our worst ideas have also been by committee, <laughs> yeah. but like all of, our sure. really, all of our really good ones have been like a group of people sitting down who usually it'll start with somebody offering up a thought. Like years ago, I would go into Matt's office um, and just be like, man, I just like, this could be the dumbest idea ever or the best idea ever. And I'm like, so let's just, let's flesh it out. So I'd pitch Matt some thought, like, what if we did this for this thing? And he'd be like, that's a really good, that's an interesting premise. Let me, let me call a couple more people and let's talk about it. And we'd get together with a group and we'd think tank it, we'd workshop it. And a great example that Matthew's always used to, I think he got it from his mom, Phyllis. I think Phyllis would, would tell him, to view an idea like a clay pigeon mm-hmm. and throw it in the air and everybody take shots at it. Everybody try to yeah. break it apart and not physically, but using logic, like right. logically, what are the problems? And then right. to really make it bulletproof is to do that a couple of times. And if it lands unbroken, if it's like, nope, it withstands that problem, holds up against that argument, holds up against this argument. You have what should be considered a good idea if you have enough people in the room who are making you know, intelligent shots at it. Yeah. That is why decisions by committee and best idea wins culture is really valuable. Cause it's like, if it's just one person coming up with all your content and ideas, you are running the risk of a lot of bad ideas because we're trapped in the confines of our own brain. Like sometimes yeah. that's almost an overwhelming thought that every thought ever <laughs> has been through a human brain. Yeah. Let alone my own. I'm yeah. so limited to my own. We talked about why authorship is interesting that they're writing in their own tone speaking the way that they speak <clears throat> through their own prefrontal cortex of their mind, you know, you know, talking about these things. If I'm so limited to only what I know, only to the things that I've seen, only my own life experiences, only things that I've read, then I'm, I'm missing out on what could be a great idea or something even yeah. better or something even more beneficial or something that's going to really edify the kingdom or our church because I just left it up to my own devices. So inviting more people in that space and say, hey, what do you think? Try to pick this apart and try to fill in the blanks with something that you might know, some wisdom that you might have. And at the end of it, you have an idea that's going to help build something beautiful. You have a better mm-hmm. foundation to start with. Yeah. And, and so think about, imagine it this way with me. Like you got Paul and Timothy in a room and they get a letter back from the church in Corinth. And they're like, they're talking about all this nonsense. Like they're talking about all this disorder. They're talking about these like gifts run amok. Like they're talking about screaming out in yeah. tongues in the middle of, yeah, no yeah. interpretations. Yeah, sure. Well, what are we going to do with this? Yeah. Like, so Paul and Timothy are sitting down and they're like, man, what are we going to do with this? So Paul, Paul says, well, let's think about this in consistency with what we, what we believe God wants for the, the body. Yeah. What do you, Timothy, what, like Timothy throws a thought in there. Mm-hmm. Then the scribe is writing all this down, taking notes on it, writes it all down. And then, and then and oftentimes I'm sure there were parts that Paul was like, write this down exactly how I say it. Absolutely. Like, so they write this, this is down, good. jot this yeah. down, yeah, jot absolutely. this down. And then scribe goes, writes out a first draft, comes mm-hmm. back to Paul and Timothy and goes, here's what I've got. Paul and Timothy go, yeah, this sounds great. That we need to adjust that. We don't want that. Absolutely. And then yeah. he goes back, writes a final draft and Paul, Paul and Timothy go, yeah, that, that's what I want to send to the church. Super good. Yeah. It goes to the church and that's what we land with. 2000 years later. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like when we think about authorship at times, it's, it's okay for us to think like, yeah. oh man, Timothy might've had some thoughts into this too, or Sylvanus or, or Sosthenes, some of these other writers. It's the same thing with the book of Psalms. Different. David is ascribed a lot of these Psalms, but so are the Korahites. Yeah. And so are different musicians. Yeah. And these are just have been collected over thousands of years. Yeah, super good. And, and the, the collected whole 
of these writings are the inspired scripture Absolutely. of God. Wait, and, and with all of those things that would, would pass the litmus test, which is like, okay, is it weighed against the proper theology? Has it been widely circulated in churches and yeah. used in a way that benefits the church? Then it's probably going to benefit more. And once it goes through that rigorous process is how we how we have the Bible. Yeah, know? exactly. And so the takeaways for today, is, I think, are this, that, that in authorship, understanding it is important. Understanding how the, the yeah. Bible is authored is important. But not knowing who the author is of a book is okay. And it's not faith-shaking, and it's not devastating to the authority of Scripture, in my opinion. Yeah. And so um, as we read the Bible and as we continue to exp- to understand and approach it, we need to look at the human context behind these things. Mm. And, and then when we don't understand and when there's mystery and we don't have the clues, we, we lean back on and we trust God has given us these words, mm-hmm. and we believe that the Holy Spirit has guided this process, has guided this thing, to the place where it is now because he has something to say to us in Super it. Super good. Yeah. Is it always that it's God says that I do, I do it? Not always. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But what it does produce is is faithful obedience to the to the truths that are being communicated yeah, amen. in these texts. Super good. Do you got any thoughts to as we close up? Anything else no, to sir, add? That's great. Thank you so much, Chris. Oh, no problem. Thanks for joining me today again, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always enjoy our conversations. It's always yeah, a good time. Super good. So well, thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll join us next week. I, I, I'm pretty sure I've got it slated that we're going to talk about the authority of Scripture next week, and we'll talk about it in multiple different ways, why we believe it's authoritative and also the authority that we should give it in our lives. So that's what's up next week, and then I think the week after that, we're, we're into the book of Jonah. So we love that you join us, and we hope that you join us again next week, and pray that you have a great week.